Welcome to the Expansive CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, founder of Expansive CEO and X Squared Wealth Planning. Buckle in as we explore how to create true prosperity and build a business and a life that expands beyond yourself and makes a dent in the universe. Welcome everyone to this episode of Investment Friday with Brad Haynes, the Chief Investment Officer of Juncture Wealth Strategies. It is Thursday, November 16th, when we're recording, it's a little earlier in the day, uh, 1.52. So um, just to put a timestamp on that, and it'll be released on Friday, November 17th. And we've got all kinds of stuff. We've got two awesome questions from our favorite listener, Bob from Huntsville. So we'll we'll go over those and market update. Um, and then also we've got a holiday week coming up. So there's a few things uh, that we're talking about. How are you doing, Brad? Are you ready for I'm, Thanksgiving? I'm doing great. And yes, I am. You know, holiday shortened weeks are always fun uh, to spend time with family and be grateful for for everything we have. Um, you know, we talk a lot about investments and sometimes we can get clouded in what I'm not getting, you know, what kind of return I'm not getting this year, particularly if you didn't own the Magnificent Eight. Um, but I think we need to step back and Thanksgiving, it gives us a time to, to be grateful for all the blessings that we have both in family and, and, uh, jobs and all those. So yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm excited for it actually. Awesome. Yeah. I, uh, so Thanksgiving is actually my favorite holiday. It's my very oh. favorite holiday of the whole year. Um, and partially, so my family, they're I think they would all say their favorite is Christmas, um, partially because of the presents, but also they love the decorations and all of that, putting up the tree. I enjoy that too. But for me, Thanksgiving has always had such a special place in my heart in that like, it's not about the gifts. There are no gifts, right? It's about food. I love throwing a good dinner party. So that's part of it too. Um, but just, you know, having the foods around you that are so comforting and being with family and spending, just spending time together, right. The meal is part of it, but then it's just like the sitting around the table and just getting to connect with people. Um, that has always been my favorite. And every year we go around, um, and say what we're thankful for, like, what are you thankful for this year? Um, so let's do that. Cause we're not recording next week. So I'll say that we're not recording on Thanksgiving day. We're not going to do it. Uh, no. So there will no, be no episode not. next Friday. So Brad, what are you thankful for this year? Um, honestly, I'm thankful for the freedoms we enjoy. Hmm. I'm, I'm really thankful for the freedoms we enjoy and for having the ability to be in a country where, um, I can own a business. I can create my own path. I can help my 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 uh, my family get to the goals that they want to accomplish. Um, you know, my last this last weekend, my son, my oldest son, got married, and so I'm very grateful for that for his his new bride and um, and for family. You know, I'm I'm just really grateful for again the freedoms we enjoy and. Uh, and so that's kind of hit me over the past couple of months. Well, really the last couple of years, but particularly with all the conflict going on in the world, 
you know, the United States is in a very blessed position geographically. We're pretty safe. You know, we've been blessed with economic growth and productivity and innovation and entrepreneurial activity and, and all of those different things that make up, you know, who we are as a country. And that is what I'm particularly grateful for right now. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. I love that. And for me, um, this year, I'm really thankful for the way that a lot of my relationships have really deepened. And that's kind of across the board. Um, I was able to go um, on a retreat and a couple's retreat with my husband last uh, last week, two weekends ago now. And it was so wonderful. It was such a wonderful time connecting with him. And um, that'll be one of the things that I'm just super grateful for, for a long time, I think. And deepening relationships with my children, um, just with the rest of my family, with clients, with people that's people who I'm partnered with, um, in business, just really, I feel like I really expanded in relationship building, even though that was a thing that I was like focused on anyway, I've always been a relationship builder. And this year, 2023 in particular really feels like things went deeper and it, I am so, so grateful for that opportunity. Um, and similar to you, you know, that the ability that we have, right? Like I, this podcast is called the expansive CEO podcast. And, you know, I have two LLCs and I'm creating, you know, and co-founding another one, um, with a partner. And it's just like, we wouldn't get to do that everywhere. And I, I wouldn't, you know, in any other time in history, right? For me as a woman, I wouldn't necessarily have been able to do all of this either as easily and as, as readily as I've been able to, you know, figure it out and and launch things and have support and, and build successfully. And so, yeah, it feels like there's a lot to be grateful for. Yeah. Even as you're, you know, you mentioned that, you know, that this is a, this is a prime time in history as you, as a woman, I mean, you're a mother and you have kids that you're helping raise and you know you're able to do that from the from your home mm-hmm. and and still pursue your career and raise a wonderful family so it's it's pretty you know we get a lot of down down news negative news um things to worry about things to stress about and yet um really we're we're living in one of the best times in the world ever in the history of the world yeah you know? Yeah. I don't have to worry about being thrown into slavery somewhere or thrown thrown to the lion's den to uh fight in the in the Colosseum. And so I'm pretty pretty happy about that because I would be <laughs> I would be a just a nugget of just be some lion of, meat. <laughs> of meat for a lion, you know. So I don't I don't know how I do against a male lion, but probably not very well. Um now this couple's retreat, let's go back to that. Is was that in a Caribbean island? No, it was in the like countryside in Nashville, oh. out in the out in the country. And it was so beautiful. It was so much fun. Um yeah. And yeah, there were creeks around us, heard coyotes at night, like all the whole oh, thing. That's like, awesome. It was so fun. Um, so yeah, it was just a really good time of 
connecting. My mom flew out. My mom is out in Arizona. She flew out and watched the kids. And so they had a fun time. And yeah, it was something we, it was different from what we've done before, right? We, we were shaking oh. it up. Hey, shaking good it up for you. Year. Good for you. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe next time. Well, probably not a Caribbean island. That's not really our thing. It would be more like, let's go to the mountains. Let's go to yeah. the let's go to the Pacific Northwest and and see, you know, uh Olympia National Park and those those kind of uh hey, you can always hike the Pacific Coast Trail. Mm-hmm. Right, right. There's a lot. So yeah. next year that'll be on on the docket. So sounds good. Let's talk about what's going on in the markets this week. What came up and, or do you want me to read the questions first and have that lead into Well, let me give you a little update on what's going on in the markets, because I think it's been very, very interesting. Uh, if you remember late last week, we talked about, um, or, or late last week, the markets jumped when everybody realized that the Fed is probably not going to raise interest rates any further. And so long-term yields on U.S. Treasuries and corporate debt came down pretty significantly, and that gave a real buoyancy to um, stock prices. And what's interesting to me is the things that rallied the most were the areas that had suffered the most over the past really almost 24 months. Uh, you had small cap, real estate, the areas that have just been beaten up like crazy were actually the ones that rallied the most during during this past week. Um, and so that has continued until today, where we're taking a little bit of a breather as the market has been on the very short term, a little overextended because we've rallied so much in the in the past five days that it's inevitably going to take a little bit of a pause. And, and that's what it is doing today. Um, nothing major, just down a little bit. But a lot of that news is all driven by the yield action and what's been going on in yields of, of bonds relative to stock. And that's 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 the major news. Mm. Yeah. So that that space of the yield, I, the other thing I read this past week um, with Treasury sales, not quite making what they thought they would make. Um, or, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of crunchiness there, um, with a, with a release. Yeah. What they came out and said was, so that's the uh, calendar of issuance that they released, uh, last Wednesday, which was essentially, they're not going to, um, issue as much treasury debt over the next three months as people had anticipated. Now, don't get me wrong. They still said they're issuing a lot of treasury debt but it was less than people expected. And mm -hmm. so that again, gave a little bit more buoyancy in terms of, okay, bond, we don't need to have our yields this high. So all of a sudden bond prices rallied, yields came down. And then again, everything that's really related to interest rates, uh, particularly small cap and real estate rallied the most last over the last five days. So it's been a it's been an interesting dynamic, but, you know, I've said for the last couple of months, everything going into the end of the year is going to be based on what long-term yields do. If long-term yields stay around 5%, equities were really going to struggle. If they rally and they come down, those yields, 
then equity markets are probably going to rally a little bit. And so right now it looks like they're probably going to rally towards the end of the year here. And so going into next week again, so next week is a short week trading, mm-hmm. um, trading wise, um, stock markets. What do we typically see in especially Thanksgiving week since it's, you know, there's so much going on and then it jumps, you know, pretty much right into the big holiday spend. Yes. Afterwards. Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Black Friday um, into Cyber Monday and all of that. Exactly. So um, generally what happens is it's pretty volatile, but it's usually positive. Okay on the on the Thanksgiving week. Um, but for the most part, most partic- market participants are on vacation for at least half the week, if not the whole week. Um, and so the volume is probably generally pretty light, um, which makes movements in the markets a little more exaggerated. Um, and so yeah, it'll it'll it may be more volatile, but usually it's on the upside. so, People usually don't mind that. Um, it'll be interesting to see because of this week we've had, if we consolidate those gains here towards the end of this week, then probably next week is going to be pretty positive for equities, particularly if we have um, you know, lower yields, if those yields maintain uh, where they are today. All right. Well, at least we have that for next week. That's our projection, right? <laughs> potential we'll see Um, and then like i mentioned black friday cyber monday a lot of that economic data will start to formulate opinions for december and um, see what the holiday spend santa surprise is that what we call it sometimes so silly but that's okay (laughs) well it's it's interesting because the atlanta feds now cast which is again it's not a forecast it's an it's what's happening today now cast is is it's currently around 2.2 percent which is much better than we were expecting so um conversely walmart came out today or last night and said we're starting to see that the consumer's starting to stretch a little bit they're starting to trade down to more inferior goods uh relative to normal goods mm-hmm. and to, to try to save some money. So, you know, that it, it's that play between the stress on the, on the consumer and the consumer spending versus we're, you know, we're doing okay. So it, it'll be interesting to see. Now what's odd for people is we, we have bad economic data. It is now being interpreted as good for the financial markets because a slowing economy means less inflation less inflation means lower interest rates which means an, a better time lower costs for com- for companies which means more profits which means hey we can bid up these stock prices a little more so uh, mm-hmm. it's a weird dynamic when bad news equals good e- uh, equity market returns so it's something that uh you know confuses most people cuz it's you know when we see people getting laid off we see people being constrained on their their incomes for some reason that's good for the economy so it's uh it's an odd thing to think about but that is the way it's being ter- interpreted right now hmm. interesting well, we'll see what that turns into for the rest yeah. of the year so let's go to these two questions um that 
you know, when we talked about this before that um, we started recording, you said, actually, I think these are pretty related. Um, so they, they kind of feed into each other. So the two different questions, one is about China. Um, and the question is, is China in trouble with $11.8 billion of foreign investment leaving China last month? Uh, their youth unemployment rate is pretty high at 34%. And what are the ramifications, if any, on the U.S. investor? So that was one question. And then the second question was, should a savvy investor be concerned by Moody's comments and Moody being uh, one of the rating um, agencies that rates bonds, right? And so they are talking about um, the rating of the U.S. government. Like, right, that's what we're talking about. So if so, should we be concerned by the comments they made this week? And I'll you'll elaborate on that. And if so, how should we adjust? Um, if we should adjust, right? So those are the those are the two questions. And so I'd love to hear your take on that. What are we okay. looking at? So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about China because I think it's a very interesting dynamic that is going on. Um China has been the growth engine of the global economy for 30 to 40 years. I mean, they have really done a great job in setting up that manufacturing economy where they became the the manufacturer of the world. I mean, I remember growing up and, you know, a lot of the toys that we would play with uh, were made in everywhere around the world. And then all of a sudden it started transitioning to made in China. Everything started to become made in China. And that is where we are currently still in that situation where a lot of us, a lot of the goods we purchase are made in China. In fact, during the pandemic, I think a lot of Americans were surprised to find out that their medications that they rely on are manufactured in China. And so people with heart medications, people with insulin, I mean, a lot of those uh, consumers started to realize, wait a minute, it's made in China. What if we can't get goods from China, you know? Um, and so during that time, again, China shut down for a very, very long time because they implemented what, what they called a COVID no, uh, zero tolerance policy. And so they shut down their economy for a very, very long time. And they're still dealing with the negative impacts of that shutdown. It's why their youth unemployment, very, very high. It's why their consumer spending is not doing well. It's why their property market, where they they misallocated too much money towards this development area, real estate development, and, and now they have many, many large developments with no one in them. Mm. No one in them. And they're very levered. So not only is it a, you have buildings with no one in them, you also have them being levered. So what, how does that correspond? How does that, how do they work out? It, it's not a surprise that Chairman G all of a sudden shows up in San Francisco at an APEC conference to meet with Western leaders. And what's okay. APEC for our audience? Uh, it's Asia Pacific Economic Council. I believe that's the acronym. I apologize because I have not looked it up in a very long time, but I believe that's what it stands for. Um, and it's way it's a way for uh, Asia Pacific, the Asia Rim, you know, including the United States, 
Canada, all the way around um, kind of the rim of fire, if you will, if you remember that, mm -hmm. um, China, you know, all the Southeast Asian countries to come together to work with Western or business leaders to foster economic relationships. Well, he hasn't been there in six years. Okay, so for six years, he hasn't shown up. 2023, he shows up. Why? He's there because the Chinese economy is suffering. And in his, in a communist country, you can have um, a lot of distress. You can do a lot of things, but you can't have low economic growth for too long because that destabilizes the social structure, the governmental structure. Because any government is based on the will of the people. I mean, at the end of the day, every communist uh, monarch, every um, democratic leader is based on the will of the people. Now, in some of those, you know, in author authoritarian governments, generally they revolt and have a revolution, which is terrible. But, well, terrible, it could be good I, just right on it, it's 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 very volatile we can use it's that very term, volatile. I think, right? it's painful it's it's yeah. painful in the painful short growth time. yeah um but if all of a sudden you have 1.4 billion people decide to revolt that's a real problem for xi okay so he is trying to foster economic relationships where over the past couple of years you the u.s and european uh business leaders have said hey wait a minute we don't know if China is going to be there for us, you know, not only do they have the pandemic where they shut down their supply chains, right? And so getting the goods out of China was a very difficult, expensive process. So they don't know, is that supply chain going to be there in the future for us, no matter what? Or are there other considerations? Maybe we should, we should bring it to Canada, bring it to Mexico, bring it to Vietnam, bring it to other countries that are not going to have such draconian um, regulations and rules. Uh, but the second thing is also the U.S. or the Chinese government has gotten very involved in business. Um, you, you know, Jack Ma, who is the chairman of Alibaba, was all over the news a lot and in, in, in Western and in, in Chinese government uh, or in, in the, um, the media. Mm -hmm. Well, he he got chastised by the Chinese government and ever since that time has kind of dropped off the radar completely. Mm -hmm. And so the, the supposition or the or the 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 problem is is as a Western company, am I gonna am I gonna have my employees, my business managers in my Chinese plant, are they going to have to start doing things for the Chinese government? because they're being forced to. So it's it, it's it, it, it's all related as a, is it a safe for my intellectual property? Are they going to respect my rights? Historically, they have not. Are they going to strong arm my employees that are in China to report for the Chinese government or to, to do things that would be against US policy? And if I do set up a plant there, am I going to be able to get my goods in a timely manner, as in a stable fashion. Um, so those concerns have driven a lot of business away from China and into some of the other Asian tiger countries like 
Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, those are actually benefiting significantly from offshoring to other areas from China, um, but also the U.S. The U.S., may, we're building a lot of manufacturing plants in the U.S. right now because of Ch the Chinese policies over the past five to 10 years. Yeah, the semiconductor plants come to mind, both in Arizona and so interesting connection for me, right? In Arizona, I've yep. driven past them uh, where Intel is building these these huge plants for semiconductors. Massive. Absolutely massive. And then also in Columbus, Ohio. Yep. Um, one of the, I think it's the biggest uh, single business investment in Ohio's history is yeah. that semiconductor plant, which is mind mind boggling yeah yeah i mean it's tens of billions of dollars of investment um near my arizona home uh there's a couple of other ones going in in the northwest of the phoenix metro area um and that's again it's another five to ten billion dollar project being pumped into that into that economy um so it, it's an interesting dynamic but China is on is kind of struggling. And so from an investment standpoint, it's something that I watch for. One of the things that I always have have maintained is as long as you know the rules and the rules are consistent, you can make money in an economy, okay? It may not be as easy as other economies, but you can. Well, China because of their disrespect for the rule of law and in intellectual property, and because they have um, ulterior motives from time to time that may influence their policies, um, I have stayed away from buying in China uh, investments because uh, I don't put it past them that they could nationalize the business as soon as as soon as they want. Um, you know, I, I think of Tesla having one of their main plants there, and um, you know, that's no surprise that after Tesla set up set up um, a plant there, all of a sudden BYD, the Chinese competitor, has really started to overtake Tesla. Okay, so interesting. One of the largest car markets in the world goes from zero to hundred much faster than Tesla, and Tesla is kind of the innovator in that area. So. You know, if I was Elon Musk, I would not be very I would be very concerned that my intellectual property was being bled out the back door at a pretty rapid rate. Um, that said, that's something that is is, you know, high risk, high reward at some point in time. China, if they decide to re um, enter the market economy like they were doing uh, a number of years ago where they had massive growth then I would be very interested in reestablishing some investments there. Um, but at this stamp, at this point in time, I think I'm, I'm passing, I've been passing for the past 10 years, um, you know, but I owned a lot prior to that time mm. and made a lot of money on it. So. And so how does that then move into the discussion about, you know, the U S debt? Yep. So there's a reason he's in the U.S., okay? From the, from, so everything is relative in, in investments, okay? Um, the U.S. got down, not downgraded, but 
negative comments. They were put on negative watch by Moody's um, a week or two ago. So should we be concerned? Absolutely. That's a warning sign. That's saying, hey, U.S., you've you basically doubled over the last 10 years. You've doubled your, your debt, okay? Um, from 2016 to 2020, we added $7 trillion in, in public debt on the U.S. balance sheet, okay? That's a lot of money. And, and it, it has accelerated since that time. So it's it's not just the level of debt, which is very, it's, it's high, but it's the growth in the debt, the growth in those deficits that we're funding with more debt. And the problem becomes is now we have higher interest rates, right? Well, I think in two years, in the next two years, we have a third of all publicly traded debt, U.S. Treasury debt, that is coming due. Well, they're coming due at very low interest rates, and they're getting rolled over at not so low interest rates. So that is going to start constraining because you have the situation where, okay, um, our taxes only bring in so much money. Is, are we going to pay 100% of our tax collections in interest? I mean, that's a possibility, okay? Um and so you have a, if you have close to, it's estimated they're going to have almost a trillion, not quite a trillion, but a trillion dollars in interest alone. Wow. Per year. Okay. Well, so now you start to look at saying, okay, what can that do to the investment markets? Okay. Right now, the investment markets are going to say, you know what? The U.S.'s balance sheet isn't as great as we would like it to be. We would like to have the debt a little lower, but we're still one of the best. We're the most state, one of the most stable countries, economically speaking, from a rule of law. We have deep and wide liquidity in all of our financial markets. We have business friendly for the most part, not exact, not all the time, but generally business friendly regulations and laws um, that you can come in and you can, and the U.S. consumer still spends. So, you know, it's, it's a, uh, we may not be a great, we not, may not be in a financially in a great spot, but generally speaking, we're better than the alternatives. So if you look at the alternatives, you can look at um, Europe, where you have not a very deep, uh, market for debt. You have a monetary union, but not a fiscal union. So again, you have these various, so it's, it's, it's like a collection of countries, not one country. So, mm. oh, say, well, tell me more about that monetary union, but not a fiscal union. Right. So the European central bank sets monetary policy for the, for the Euro area. Right. Well, but they have their own tax rates. They have their mm -hmm. own tax treaties. They have, uh, you know, one has higher taxes than the other. One has different types of taxes than another. So it's it's not one, it's not a a, a one union. So for example, Germany will will look will will borrow money in the public markets, right, at different rates than Italy. Okay, well, 
it's not like they're it's not like a, a euro union the euro union european union is issuing european bonds backed by all those countries they've talked about it from time to time during crises that that come come about every once in a while particularly when greece was greece and spain were going and italy were going through some real significant struggles um they talked about it but they decided not to do it so Again, that monetary union, fiscal union, not a consistent uh, rule of law across the countries or consistent laws across the countries. So it's 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 good from from a population standpoint because it's about if you collect all those countries' population about the same size as the U.S., their economies collectively very very solid, very large. Well, I shouldn't say solid, very large, very important to the global economy. Um, but again, just not deep enough markets, not liquid enough, um, all of those things. So not cohesive, Europe, not cohesive. So it's not, so Europe's not a very good alternative to the United States. So you look at, okay, what are the other countries? Well, there's BRICS, you know, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Okay. They're considering putting together a currency and and hopefully trading in that currency across with each other. All right. Um, uh, let's see. Russia and China. Who are going to trust those two to pay their their bills? I mean, Russia has just absolutely gotten annihilated their economy, and they're 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 having to spend uh, upwards of thirty percent to forty percent of their. GDP on military goods that are getting blown up as soon as they put them in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, you, Russia is probably not a great place to be. Their economy has gotten annihilated. China, China, you have a very, very slow economy, not open, not very open. Only certain parts of it are open. Similar with Russia, not very open. A lot of sanctions around it. Can't really do business there for the most part. Same with China. And by the way, they don't trust each other. So it's like, okay, you have all of these dynamics that um, probably don't make it a real alternative. Okay. So for right now, the U.S. may be, I'm going to use an example. This is from a commercial from years ago. We may be a pig, but we're the prettiest pig on the in the pond. Okay. Big in right. the pen. <laughs> yeah. Like we've got lipstick on us. We're looking good compared to the other, the other, you know, uh pigs in the in, in the patch. So it's something where the US is the best alternative in the world. Now, does that mean that Congress can just continue to spend forever? No. No. Right now we have fairly low tax rates. But if we continue to add debt, eventually we're going to have to increase our tax rates to pay for some of these things. And it's going to be it'll have to be a little draconian. So what happens is if you increase tax rates, you slow down economic growth. More people go out of work. Okay. But you have to pay, pay the piper, if you will. So that's something that the US government really does have to start to rein in on. Um, I know there's a bipartisan legislation that was just submitted um, by Senator Mitt Romney and Senator Joe Manchin uh, 
Romney from the Republicans, Manchin from the Democrats. Um, and it's it's something that it, with the, I can't remember the name of it, but it has something to do with increased fiscal stability or something to that effect. And it's important to understand that we need to start having Congress um, manage our finances in a better manner. You can't just spend all of the time. And it's both parties. Like I said, President Trump's administration increased our debt by $7 trillion within four years. President Biden has, has, has added a lot to that debt balance, partially because of the pandemic-related relief, um, which needed to happen. But still, it happened. Generally, what happens is you need you need a reserve, kind of like a line of credit to the side, where you knew if you go through a pandemic, a war, if you go through something extraordinary event, you could pull off that line of credit, issue some of that debt, take in cash, and expand your fiscal policy, you know, by deficit spending. But when you get out of those times, for example, if you go through a war and you've transitioned back to a peacetime economy, you need to pay down that line of credit a little bit to make sure you still have that cushion available. Well, the problem is, is we've been spending that on that cushion for a long time and and now we don't have much left. Um, in fact, one of the main things that was troubling to the U.S. Treasury market, it's one of the reasons that we hit 5% on the U.S. Treasury note um, a couple months ago was because Japan has now allowed their interest rates to those yields on those go Japanese government bonds to start to float up. Now, why does that affect ours? Because they're at 1% versus us at 5%. It's because Japanese economy is also viewed as a very safe economy. Mm -hmm. Very safe. So it's one of those things, even though they have a high debt, they're all self-funded. It's all funded within J Japan itself. So it's one of the things that people are like, well, is, is, is the Japanese government bond a good alternative to the U.S. Treasury? I don't think it is, okay? But for others, it may be. So it you now have a competing investment to U.S. Treasuries which means it now has to have a more competitive yield. Hmm. And not that it couldn't be in the future, right? Like they, I think that's kind of where that discussion is going is if the U S is downgraded or even more talk of that. Right. And then suddenly we have these other, maybe at least an other option, one other option um, that, that could, that could become, you know, and is that bad? Like maybe it's good if we have to, relative relatively stable options right like it's not just the one like in all honesty that's probably better for the global economy if we have you know spread out the stability a little bit but maybe it's that's like, my optimism yeah i think my it's generally optimistic view <laughs> yeah i think it's important for people to realize that you know um first of all the u.s has a lot of assets okay so we have a lot of debt, but we have a lot of assets and our economy has grown pretty significantly. So, you know, are we in trouble? I mean, we're we're knocking on that door, um, but I think it would be able to 
I, I think we'll be able to weather it. Uh, I, I think that we'll be, or we'll be forced to weather it. Um, I mean, I think one of the things they should have done, the treasury should have done is lock in these long-term yields on a bigger portion of the debt that has been issued at very low rates. Unfortunately, they didn't. A lot of it's in the short term, which means they readjust pretty quickly to higher rates. Conversely, they'll also adjust to lower rates if we go down to the low, low areas that people are expecting. You know, we they expect a lower interest rate halfway through uh, 2024 as economic growth continues to slow down. So we'll see if that comes out. I don't think it's going to come. I don't think it's going to be that way. Um, I think we're going to, if we do see an interest rate decline in 24, it will be later 24 as uh, the economy does suffer from longer rates, higher rates for longer. Mm. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up for today. Um, And not really an, I, I, it's not that there's not an answer there, but it, it kind of falls back into our, you know, general, like, here's, here's what we see. Here are the risks. Here's how we are, you know, thinking about it and talking about it. And those factors are being um, kind of incorporated, right? Once the news comes out, a lot of that has been built in already. Right. Like this is kind of the kind of the way, you know, if you're always trading on the news, then you're always on the back foot anyway. Right. Correct. So there's a, a little education there on uh, both of those topics. I appreciate it. So any last comments about Thanksgiving from you, Brad? No, nope, I, hope, I hope everybody has a wonderful holiday week. Um Hope they can sit around and they're finding themselves around family and friends. And I hope uh, they can, you know, I hope they can look at, look at the gratitude that I hope, I hope their, their hearts full of gratitude is what I'm saying is I hope they also have a very, very good Thanksgiving. Yeah, me too. And I know, you know everyone has different experiences of life and family and travel and all of those things. So whatever that looks like for you, yeah, I hope the same that they're, um, whatever piece of gratitude you have, um, we can really, you know, double down on that, um, this, especially this weekend and through the holiday season and just be, be in that space of gratitude in whatever way that works for you. So thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions that you want to hear us talk about on the podcast, you can always, always reach us. Um, you can email me at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at expansiveceo.com. Um, you can also get me on my website. Uh, you can go to X Squared's website as well, x2wealthplanning.com. And Brad, how can people get a hold of you? You can get a hold of me at uh, B Haynes, B H A I N E S, at juncturewealth.com. Welcome any and all inquiries. Um, and that's it. All right, everyone. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we will see you in two weeks. Bye for now. Bye. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and be sure to like and subscribe. And again, if anything resonated with you from this episode, I would love to hear from you. Email me at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, 
at expansiveceo.com and tell me about it. And if you're ready for your greatest expansion, you can find ways to work with me at expansiveceo.com and at xsquaredwealthplanning.com. That's X, the numeral two, wealthplanning.com. So until next time, remember that there is enough, you are enough, and your birthright in this lifetime is to be expansive.